Season 3 of the official podcast of FCS Fans Nation, the premier fan forum for college football's best division. With you until Frisco, here are your hosts, Kyler Neal, Matthew Frazee, and Lawrence Smith. FCS fans nation, like a grizzly hibernating in Montana, we have now awoken for the inaugural FCS football fans nation podcast episode for 2019. We are going to be roaring at you. We're going to be roaring like screeching like an eagle. We're going to be wanking you up like a gamecock in the morning, a thundering herd of bison or jackrabbits coming down a hill. We are ready. For some hot takes in our inaugural episode tonight. Matthew Frazee, your unbiased bison admin, along with my two best buds, no offense, Wyatt and Kelsey. I have J- Lawrence Smith and Mr. Kyler Neal. Gentlemen, how are we doing on our first episode of the summer with all about 66 days away from kickoff? Kyler, how are you tonight? I'm good, man. And what, you couldn't find anything for JMU? No. <laughs> No barking of the dog, no anything like that. I should have thrown a Marine Corps or an old old English bulldog, something <laughs> out there. Barking, barking like Duke Dog or Hello Duke Dog from the book that I read Emmett at night. I should have thrown that out there. Uh, nah, Luther, it's all right. JMU will get enough headlines the rest of this year, so you're good. Yeah, it's okay um, to leave them out once in a while. So hey, we're okay with starting this year flying under the radar, and uh, we'll we'll see uh, where things wind up uh, at the end of the year we'll be talking about Duke Dog plenty. <laughs> well it's going to be hard to fly under the radar because there is some preseason hype and we might be discussing that a little bit under our first topic but first kind of a breakdown um, for anybody who's new to this podcast you've stumbled across the FCS Football Fans Nation podcast. Uh, Matthew Frazee, Kyler Neal, and Lawrence Smith we are your traditional hosts. We are admins for the great page FCS Football Fans Nation on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all your social media platforms. We also have a website. Traditionally, our podcasts run with uh, individuals from our fa- from our page, a bunch of fans. There's about 7,000 of them. They submit questions, they put out comments, and that drives our discussion. But for the off-season stuff, we like to do things like fact or fiction. We do some hot takes, and we discuss top 25. So we will be using the fans' input throughout the season. But tonight, we're sticking with some real hot take hot topics that our group at FCS Football Fans Nation has been discussing. So that's going to be our narrative for tonight, and I've got subject matter experts Lawrence Smith and Kyler Neal to assist with all that. We're going to do a few predictions tonight. We're going to look back on last year, where we were right, where we were wrong, some Frisco memories, and a bunch of fun topics. So you guys ready to go? You got got your drink ready for tonight? What do you got there, Kyler? Oh, man. So I've, I've just been battling the flu ever since I got back to Mexico. So I am drinking a Gatorade. It is oh. not a beer. I apologize, but got to stay hydrated. Oh, you have to after all the uh, snaps I saw of the many beers in Mexico. I'm going with the traditional North Dakota Bush Latte or Bush Light. 
Uh, Mr. Lawrence Smith, do you have a drink of preference this evening? Uh, work at 7 a.m. tomorrow. It is currently 9 p.m. here on the East Coast, so I am rocking the water on the rocks. So the, so the one guy with two kids is the irresponsible one. This is not good. <laughs> this is not good. So, oh, boy. So I'll try not to stumble through it since I've got this high-content bush latte here. But, guys, let's kick it off. Let's talk about some FCS football. Let's stop talking about all the things we're, we've been up to. Um, and we're going to kick it off with some hot topics, things that our group, our page has been discussing and things we're going to dive into. And we're going to start with one that really gets people heated on either side of the argument. And I'm pretty much going to label this, why your national championship last year means nothing in a preseason ranking. So we're going to dive into the fact that the preseason rankings for top 25 for Hero Sports and Athlon have came out. And some people kind of feel like the national champion should be there or shouldn't be there. So I'm going to start with you, Kyler. Um, does that national championship last year mean nothing in a preseason ranking? Um, it does and it doesn't. It does by the terms like if you won the national championship and you have almost that same team coming back or maybe just a few gone, sure. It proves that that team's already won a national championship. So they should be ranked number one. Um, it does not matter, like NDSU's case, in my opinion, where not only do they lose majority of their starters, they also lose a majority of their coaches. So when you're bringing back, it's basically a brand new team that's not experienced. They shouldn't be automatically number one. And there's been there's been times where that's happened again, where not the champs have been the number one team. So um, I would say yes and no, if that answers your question. Yeah, that's a great answer. And Lawrence, how do you feel kind of with top 25 polls in terms of what happened last year as you as a champion in comparison to now, especially with you being a James Madison fan and how your season ended last season and the preseason love that you're currently receiving? Well, if we're talking about uh, where I think, James, you should be ranked, uh, I was pretty vocal on Twitter that I don't think they should be number one like we wound up in a couple of polls. Um, but that doesn't mean that I think a team that didn't win the national championship can't be ranked number one. Uh, I just think in JMU's specific case right now, uh, they haven't merited that ranking yet. So I, I'm going to echo what Kyler said. It, it depends on the situation, and it will change. You know, My answer this year and my answer next year might be completely different. Um, especially if Jamie wins the national championship this year, you better believe we're going to be number one to start 2020. Um, but yeah, you got to look at the bigger picture. Um, really, the championship from last year is a great accomplishment, but it's not going to win you any games this year. So if it can't win you any games, it, it can't really help your, your ranking as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, you're not going to get a lot of disagreement out of any of us three. Uh, I think we kind of all echo that same statement on the FCS Football Fans Nation p Facebook page because it's kind of you have to look at a team in terms of more of a predictive upcoming style in terms of what have you done for me in the past. Um, it's kind of like being in sales. I mean, it's great that you, you closed a big sale, but what are you going to do for me in the future? It's always continuous. So you're looking back at North Dakota State. Think about them in 2011, and they win the national championship. And they win it as freshmen, sophomores, and you know a few seniors and a bunch of juniors sprinkled in there. But the majority of that cast was going to be seniors two years down the line. 
no doubt 2012 you're looking at a national championship you know title favorite should be number one preseason poll but after 2013 NDSU was actually number two to start the preseason poll Eastern Washington was actually number one um so you look at the fact that when you have a big graduating class or individuals leaving and you have young teams like James Madison coming up with a bunch of sophomores who was young last year, it's smart to predict that maybe they're going to be better off. Now, you have the benefit of the doubt of depth and past history with some programs in comparison to some teams. Uh, but overall, you have to look at the upcoming predictive style. And that happened with you, Kyler, last year with Eastern Washington because you guys completely missed the playoffs. And unless I'm mistaken, I believe you were a top 10 preseason poll last year. And it, it paid off in terms of where the uh, Hero Sports Athlons thought you were going to be. So for Eastern and yourself, that kind of paid off, did it not? For sure. Um, I was, I forgot where I had them in the preseason, um, but kind of what I was saying was we will be a Final Four team. And I believe that's what Hero Sports put us as, as the preseason. And it wasn't a vindication of, hey, they've, you know, they didn't even make the playoffs last year. How, how are they number four? It's because of what they had bringing back. They had 18 starters and all, you know, coaches with all at least a year of experience now. Um, so, so they were definitely one of the more experienced teams, and it showed last year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, literally, Hero Sports write-up for Eastern Washington. This was their 2018 ranking for preseason. They had Eastern Washington at number four. And they said, despite missing the playoffs last season at 7-4, and four, the Eagles are loaded with 16 starters coming back. At the time, they wrote about Gage Gruber being the senior quarterback, but EB3, you know, popped up after the injury. Um, so they said, Eastern Washington won't stay out of national relevance for too long. And that's that good predictive style that people need to look forward to. So um, when it comes to top 25 polls, we're going to discuss that a lot more next week or the week after with our top 25 preview. Uh, episode, but we just want to kind of throw our opinions out there about how last year may not mean much in comparison to what is coming forward. So don't worry, NDSU fans. We still think you're going to be a great team, but don't always think just because you want, you deserve the number one spot. Great answers, guys. Um, kind of jumping forward then, let's talk a little bit about teams in terms of teams that we expect to do be good, expect to be bad, and programs we expect to be good, expect to be bad. And what I mean by that is, what is a team and what is a program and what categories do you put certain teams in the FCS in? So, Kyler, I ask you, when you think about the Big Sky, Missouri Valley, some of these West centralized teams, who do you think of as teams and who do you think of as programs? Um, so, so I will say, as of right now, Weber State would still be kind of under the team consideration. It seems like they might be building a program with a couple more successful seasons, but it wasn't too long ago where they were a two-win team. So I would say when you're defining a team, uh, it's kind of like what UC Davis did last year. You know, they came out, they played extremely well. Um, they, you know, were one one minute away from Easter not going to the, you know, semifinal game. And, and that's the emergence of a team. Um, but when you're talking about a program, at least in my opinion, it's, it's, a, it's a program who has sustained – you know, success. So and North Dakota State and Eastern Washington, uh, even Montana, I mean, they're in their down seasons and they're still having six, seven wins. It's just not, it's, they're not, you know, that dynasty level anymore, but they're still a dominant program. So, so that's kind of how I view programs and teams. Is that what you were asking, Matt? 
Absolutely, yeah. I'm trying to get a good definition of, okay, Towson makes it to the national championship in 2013, which is great. Does that make them an established program in comparison to a team that goes 7-4 and four for four straight years and then has one good season and drops off to 7-4 and four again? but never really drops to that two, three loss range. Like what is the, you know, what's the good definition of it? And Lawrence, how would you view teams like Jacksonville State, new guys like Kennesaw State, and some of those teams in the CAA? I think uh, to kind of mirror how Kyler went about this question, if you think about, of course, I'm going to go straight to the CAA because that's the conference that I'm most comfortable with. Um, you, You know, you've got JMU, Villanova, Delaware, UNH. Like I would say those teams right there are your programs. Um, If you look at Villanova and Delaware, you know, they have both won national championships um, since the turn of the century. And they have traditionally been in that uh, CAA championship picture, even though the last three or four or five years, um, one or both of those programs may have been down. I still see them as nationally relevant programs. On the flip side, we have a perfect example in Maine from last year. They're generally a pretty good team, but they do have those two, three win seasons. Or like in 2018, this past year, they went all the way to the semifinals. So... I think consistency is the key for a program. You've got your teams that are going to always come in. Like Kyler said, seven wins is a bad year. Um, If you can reach that threshold, then I would consider you a program more than just a, you know, a a team that'll get hot once every few years. Absolutely. And um, do you guys think that coaching changes and still maintaining that level of success is kind of an important factor for a program? Absolutely. I mean, you can look at kind of Eastern's coaching um, history just this last 10 years. I mean, we've had, what, three head coaches and, I mean, four or five offensive coaches within the last, you know, six years, and we've still been a top, top five offense every single year. That's, that's the type of program. You, you built a winning culture. You're now a program. You're just not a team that's relying on one coach or one specific set of players. Awesome. Well said, guys. That's a good definition term. Um, it's good for somebody to rest their head on knowing what a program and a team difference is. And I think everybody aims for that progr- real program status. Obviously, somebody everybody has a football program. But to say this is a program, that is established and doing good things. That's kind of the thing everyone aims for. So awesome definition term, guys. All right, let's get into some more stuff that is going to be kind of predictive, I would say. So I'm going to run you guys through some things. Um, This thing I'm going to call, if you're not seated, you're screwed. If you're not seated, you're screwed. So I did a little research, guys. I dove back back to 2001. That's when the FCS itself switched back to four seeds from the, they actually did from like 96 to 2000, like everybody was seated. They actually tried to pull that off. But in 2001, this is where I'm going to go from, they switched it back to four seeds and everybody else was then regional, geographic, nobody else was seated. From 2001 to 2007, you had three unseated teams in a 16-team tournament win the national championship. 
You had App State, James Madison, and Western Kentucky. You also had some runner-ups. Three unseeded runner-ups actually make it to the title game. So you had some unseeded teams that weren't in that top four actually having a little bit of success. But once the FCS expanded in 2008 to 20 teams and they seeded the top five, you actually only had one unseeded team win it all. That was Richmond in 2008. And you actually only had one unseeded team make it to the championship. And that was in 2012, Sam Houston. So for five years, you only had one and one. Once again, the FCS expands in 2013 to 24 teams and the top eight got buys. And since that has happened, no team that has not been seeded has won the national championship. And only one team, Youngstown State in 2016, has made it to the national championship being unseeded. So simply put, based off historical facts and how the expansion of eight seeds and home field advantage and first round buys work in the current climate, would you see, Lawrence, a possibility of anybody winning outside of that top eight seed? I know nothing's impossible, but do you realistically see it happening sometime in the next five to 10 years? The FCS has started to become pretty top-heavy, um, like we see at the FBS level as well. You know, you've got your programs, Alabama, Clemson, uh, you know, those guys. You know at the beginning of the year, like, your national champion is going to come from, like, this group of, like, maybe six or eight teams max, right? I see the FCS kind of going sort of that way too um to to a lesser degree but still um so i would say the likelihood of an unseeded team uh winning the national championship is very low uh it it would take someone pretty spectacular um to to make that run all the way to frisco and pull it off because you you know your ndsu eastern washington jmu you know these powerhouses that are coming up just the skill level, the size difference that um, these programs are getting these days and the way that they can recruit um, G5 level players to come play quote unquote down in the FCS. It really creates a mismatch in my mind um, that I think would be exceptionally hard to overcome. Well said. Kyler, do you agree with Lawrence? And if you do agree, what would be the your, your like top two factors of why an unseated team realistically is not going to be you know, winning that national championship? Heck, at this point, the odds of even making it. Yeah, I, I would say I'm definitely going to piggyback on Lawrence. I do agree with him. And it's kind of weird because this year, you know, I've said that this might be one of the most competitive years in FCS football we've had in a very long time. And even though I'm saying that, I'm still looking at it on paper, and I can maybe only think of six teams who have a shot to win it all. So so like Lawrence was saying, I think it is because the FCS is top-heavy, and I just don't see – you know, the, the top six teams, maybe even top eight. So let's just go with that seeded route of top, top eight teams. I just think they are hands and above, you know, the hands and above better than the rest of the FCS. So maybe there'll be a team who will get an upset in and defeat one of those top eight teams, but they're not going to be able to do it multiple weeks in a row, especially because they'll be traveling. And that's where it's going to become a little tough. So, um, yeah, I, I just... I don't see a team who's not seated being able to go on the road to these big, big perennial powerhouses um, and, you know, take on multiple to win it all. 
you know, Matt, if you look at your example, uh, the one team that did make it since the expansion in Youngstown State, that was an incredible run by them, but you can't overlook the fact that they had at least one very lucky result to get out of Cheney um, to even have the chance to play. Um, And then the score ended up being 28-14 in the national championship game, but it wasn't even that close. Um, And so you really see the the gulf of uh, team talent uh, when you get to that level. Um, so again, I, I really think that the, the odds continue to go down that we'll see an unseated national champion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said on the, the Youngstown state example, great run that they made, but inevitably you hit a wall um, almost similar. Well, Towson actually in 2013 was seated. They were the number seven seed. So I can't even say that. But it's like there's this inevitable wall and the home field advantage in the FCS in some of these programs. I mean, let's say Montana's a top eight seed. Yeah, good luck in Montana, you know. Um, Eastern Washington on the Inferno, extremely tough place to play. James Madison. Jacksonville State, you know, down there, they have a huge home field advantage. Sam Houston State rarely loses when the Bearcats are in it. So if you run into these top eight programs and they're going to eventually collide with each other, it's going to be really difficult. So, well. Well, and you have to go back and like actually look at the seedings like you were talking about, Matt. You know, back in the day, they didn't see they didn't seed eight teams. They were seeding four. So sure, I could see one of, you know, maybe a five seed in nowadays time going on and making a run and winning the national championship. I just can't see the ninth best team making that same run. And, and that's where, you know, when you give more seeds out, you're definitely um, limiting the playing field outside those seeds because um, I do think the FCS is top heavy. Absolutely. That is a fantastic point. Yep, and the 16-team the tournament, you're, you're one less game as well. Um, so you're going to be playing one extra game while all those top eight seeds are getting a bye. So completely different ball game. It's going to be tough for somebody to overcome, but we've seen stranger things happen before. So, all right, guys, we're going to roll right into another one, which is kind of on this topic, um, simply labeled Big Three or the field is 2019 easy to predict. I say this because if you go past in the last decade, we have North Dakota State, you have Villanova, you have Richmond, you've got James Madison, you have Eastern Washington. Those are your national champions. They are represented by the Big Sky, the Missouri Valley, and the CAA. While you've had teams from other conferences make the national championship, you haven't had them actually win it. So I will ask you, and I'm going to reference Hero Sports, their preseason top 25. We'll just do the top 10. JMU, NDSU, UC Davis, Maine, South Dakota State, Jacksonville State, Eastern Washington, Wofford, Illinois State, Towson. That right there includes only two teams not in the big three, which has owned the FCS in the last decade. So I ask you, Kyler, big three of the field, what do you think happens in 2019? Oh, I'm definitely going with the big three. Um... I think on paper this year is where the big three, at least in the CA and big sky are more stacked than they have ever been. Um, Missouri Valley might take a little bit of a backseat to those two conferences this year. Um, as there's, there doesn't seem to be at least a perennial power coming out of the Missouri Valley this next year. It could be a little bit of a cluster, but out of those teams you just named, do I believe in Wofford being able to make a big run? No, they're going to be a quarterfinal team and that's about it. Just, kind of like their history is proven. Do I think Jacksonville State can make a run? Um, sure, they, they might be able to. Am I going to bet on that over the big three? Absolutely not. 
Well said, Lawrence. And I say well said because I'm very complimentary and I'm a North Dakotan. Doesn't mean I always agree. Just letting everybody know that. Uh, and Lawrence, since Kyler said said that so well, um, what is your opinion on the matter? Um, my opinion on the matter is that non-Big 3 conferences have one hope and one hope only to win the national championship this year, and that would be Jacksonville State. And like Kyler, I think it's possible, but I think it is ultimately unlikely. Um, yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. And guys, just some uh, little more expansion on all the way back to, we'll, we'll take it to 2008. Um, Non-Big 3 teams to make it to the national championship would be Sam Houston twice, both losing both times, and Jacksonville State losing to NDSU. So um, of all the teams all the way back to 2008, you're looking at three of them. Um, I don't mean to just cut that off for everybody complaining, saying, you know, oh, that's the FCS had way more than that. But you kind of got to look at the last decade. That's how I base these things off of. I'm not trying to, to, you know, throw out the SOCON. I'm not trying to throw out App State and, you know, some of these great teams we've had in the past. Just I think the last decade is a good indicator of a current climate. So, But even if you bring it to the 2000s, the SOCON was one of the big three. Um, I would say, yeah, you know, sure. there was a time where the 2000s, the Missouri Valley was not. It was the SOCON CA and Big Sky. Um and, and that was kind of the beginning of the 2000s until North Dakota State came in and, and kind of emerged the Missouri Valley as a power. And the SOCON after the powers left, the App States, the Georgia Southerns, um, the SOCON really hasn't been back. So if we're ever going to do a, a Power Four conference, the SOCON's right on that cusp. But they just don't have that top tier team who's, who's emerging as a perennial contender. That is a phenomenal point. I mean, that that's just really good. And I'm glad you said that, Kyler, because I, I was forgetting to say it. I, I mentioned a lot on the page that, you know, it is rotational. And until we see a rotation right now, it, it is those three. But you're right. The Missouri Valley isn't remotely close to what the SoCon was back in the day um, for that time. So very, very well. Yeah, the Missouri Valley has kind of dominated this decade. But, I mean, if you go back to the decade before the 2000s, 2009, I mean, it, it was really the SoCon, CA, um, and then the Big Sky. Those were pretty pretty much the only teams you were saw making it in the semis or um, in the championship games and that was that was really it. it was only coming from those three conferences I um, mean the Missouri Valley really wasn't around they were around it you know when Youngstown State made their their big run um, in the 90s but you know there was a big gap and now the Missouri Valley's back since North Dakota State and South Dakota State's emerged but if you think of those teams you know and they got in the Missouri Valley not too long ago. If they weren't in the Valley this decade, would the Valley be that strong? They would. The Valley still probably wouldn't be a power three if those two teams didn't, you know, jump in that spot. Well said. Well said. Very well said, sir. All right, guys. I think that covers the big three and the rest of the field. So we got a few more topics here before we get into some more fun stuff. Um, so let's go into this one. Uh, Maybe we're beating a dead horse here, but I think all three of us agree on this, and I just really want it out there as a hot take in case somebody hasn't read up on how um, us as admins and a lot of people on our page feel because we're kind of leading the charge to change this mentality. Um, so this category is called Respect Sam Houston or Don't Respect the FCS Teams number 4 through 126. 
So basically what we're saying is if you don't respect Sam Houston and what they've done within the last decade, that means you don't respect what anybody's done for teams four through 126. Um, and Kyler and Lawrence, I'll start with you, Kyler, because I know Eastern's actually played Sam Houston a few times more than JMU has. What do you, what do you think about Sam Houston and their current legacy in the last decade, despite a rough season last year? Sam Houston and you know, this decade, their legacy has been, they have been a top three to four team. Um, all they're missing is a national championship. And if they had one national championship, um, you could definitely say they're the second most successful team, um, you know, right behind North Dakota state. They have the second most wins, second most playoff wins, you know, tied second most semifinals tied second most national championship games. Um, the reason why people are saying they're so bad is just because, you know, they're playing that semifinal game against the champs or the runners up and they're getting blown out. But like we said, a couple questions earlier, the FCS is very top heavy. Um, Sam Houston was beating teams pretty bad in the playoffs before that, but everyone only, you know, remembers that last game of the year. And unfortunately, Sam Houston's had some pretty brutal last last games. Um, but if you're not respecting Sam Houston and you're giving all this praise to South Dakota State, look at South Dakota State's last, last games of the year, at least the last three seasons. They've got absolutely blown out. So I, I don't get the, the you know, um, we, we respect South Dakota State or respect some of these other teams, but we're not going to give, you know, Sam Houston any credit because they're in the Southland, they're in a weak conference. Guess what? They're still one of the most dominant teams of the decade, and they're just one championship, one championship away from saying they are the second best team of the decade. That's, that's literally it. Oh, easily. Let me, let me just run these stats quick, and then I'm going to get Lawrence in here. Um, so James Madison has a ring, and Eastern Washington has a ring, and NDSU has a lot of rings in the last decade. Um, since, since 2010, since we're coming up into 2020 here. Tell me if JSU, SDSU, now Kennesaw, New Hampshire, all these other teams, tell me if they hold the candle to this. Two national championship appearances, six semifinal appearances, eight quarterfinal appearances. They've also made it to the semis three times, not being seated, and winning records against all conferences that Sam Houston has faced in the playoffs, minus the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley. Nine and two against the Big Sky, two and oh against the Big South, one and one against the CAA. Uh, Missouri Valley, one and four, but four of those losses are to NDSU. Well, they're in the same boat as everybody with that one. Uh, one and two against the Ohio Valley, one and oh against the Patriot, one and oh against the Southern, two and two against the Southland. I mean, nobody holds a candle to that, in my opinion. And I think Sam Houston, despite the narrative of overrated, which is mostly from the teams that have blown him out of the water at the end, JMU, NDSU. I think they deserve a lot of respect, and if you're going to say that they're overrated and that they stink, then you're literally admitting 122 teams in the FCS deserve no respect. Um, I mean, anything to bounce off that? Oh, Kyler, go ahead. I was going to say, if you just take national championships out of it and you just look at everything else, Sam Houston's resume spanks James Madison's for the decade. Now, of course, the last five years, it's been a little different where James Madison's really turned it on. But I mean, for the whole decade, only Eastern has a competitive, you know, um, resume with them. And so does North Dakota State, of course. Uh, but those are literally the only two teams. Now, when you include national championships, uh, then, then I would put James Madison above Sam Houston. But that's about it. That's all you can 
have even a legitimate argument for. Oh, for sure. Lawrence, what do you what do you think about Sam Houston and all them? I think you were there on that cold, dark night when the Dukes took them down pretty hard. <laughs> what, what's uh, what's your Bearcat input here? I think you two have covered um, kind of the question that you asked pretty well, so I'm going to go a different route. I, I, I think I know why people talk about Sam Houston the way they do. When Sam Houston is making their runs to the semifinals when their team is hot. If you interact with their fans online, they are unrivaled championship level trash talk. (laughs) They know how to get any fan base riled up. And so when they do ultimately lose, I can speak for, you know, JMU. It was, I know for a fact it was like this. The first thing I wanted to do after we beat them wasn't to celebrate. It was to go on Twitter <laughs> and say, I told you so. <laughs> and so that sticks in your head. And, you know, you spend the two weeks before Frisco going back and talking trash to Sam Houston fans saying, see, I told you, you were overrated. And you might not even really mean it, but you say it so much that it just kind of becomes fact. I And I think that has happened be, because their fans are so good at talking trash, they have upset a lot of other fan bases who all come back and say, no, see, we told you so. And I think that's where that uh, perception of being overrated comes from. Yeah, it definitely plays a narrative. I mean, how you're perceiving yourself and how you're you know throwing yourself out there in terms of, hey, this is who I think we are. And if it doesn't work out in your favor, sports is sports and it's going to blow up on you, especially in the day of social media. You mentioned it, Twitter, Facebook, our page gets a lot of it. Uh, We're the most respectful place to come discuss FCS football. Uh, We monitor that really well. But at the end of the day, even respectful trash talk, it's going to blow up on you if if you don't do what you're supposed to do. So real cough, cough, Jacksonville State. (laughs) You got to stay cocky through the tough times and the good times, but... It's uh, Sam Houston, Sam Houston, championship level trash talkers. Oh, for sure. Elite. Kyler and I actually went and saw their field. That's pretty beautiful down there in Houston. It really is. It's amazing. All right, guys, respect to you, Sam Houston. Keep up the trash talk and keep up the good work on the field. You're going to have a good bounce back year. We'll discuss that more in our next podcast with the top 25. So, all right, guys, one more topic, and then we're going to hit some final things. Um, This one's going to be interesting. I simply am labeling it that both sides of the HBCU playoff argument are right. And how I'm going to kind of lead us into this and then we can kind of discuss it. Um, So when it comes to HBCU, we are having a a massive amount of HBCU fans coming onto our page, which is awesome. I think our outreach with it has been great. Um, We do voting for conferences for our uh, team series. And I think the MEAC and SWAC were like the third or fourth conference that we did right away because they received so many votes and just people are starting to realize how good the football is how intriguing it is how awesome the celebration bowl is and all that but there seems to be some sort of disconnect and i think i have nailed it down and it all comes down to the playoff that doesn't happen so hbcu we all know we all kind of know the history of it and most people need to be more informed of the history Obviously, these are programs that were denied playoff appearances, denied opportunities because of terrible, awful racial instances that happened back in the day. 
And if you can't see that side of history and why these programs continue to maintain the class and the dignity and the route that they take throughout the FCS, then I can't help you because you need to pick up a book and realize how important they are to our football history and everything else. And if you can't see how great the Celebration Bowl is in terms of a moneymaker, in terms of a broadcast, viewership, and the just awesomeness of being able to do a really big trophy bowl game at the FCS level, I also can't help you. But I'm also going to flip it on the other side about how the HBCU, when they have gone to the playoffs, which they have opportunities to do if they make the field, have just not performed traditionally well, especially within the last you know decade or two, with an overall record of 8-45. and 45. Um, the last time they appeared would have been NCA and T in 2016, losing to Richmond 39 to 10. So they do have a national championship with FAMU all the way back there. Um, I believe the original one in 1978. So I just want to get your guys' perspectives. How come we can't find a healthy level of respect between HBCU Celebration Bowl, um, NCAT putting an NFL player in the in the NFL draft? Um, the only FCS team to do it three years straight. How come we can't find that healthy respect along with not having those individuals in the playoffs because they choose the celebration full route? Tell me where the disconnect is. Tell me why we can't get this figured out because I have no problem respecting and enjoying both sides of the coin. Kyler, what do you think about this? So, Matt, I'm totally with you. First, I'll say, you know, I think the HBCUs in the Celebration Bowl, like you said, is an awesome game to watch. Um, I would love to attend it one day. And it's not just the Celebration Bowl, but if you like look at all the HBCU rivalry games and the big games that they have annual, all of the top games in the FCS in terms of attendance and national viewership, they, they derive around these HBCU games. And you guys, if you, if you want to start watching some fun, entertaining football with a live, loud audience, go watch some of these HBCU games. And then I think you'll you'll start respecting it a little more. But we're at... We're, where we're having this disconnect between, you know, let's say the rest of the FCS and the HBCUs. And I would say a lot of it comes from online when you have maybe this undefeated HBCU team like NC State or NCANT, you know, the last couple of years. Um, some of their fan base would smack talk and say, hey, we're, we are undefeated. We could go in the playoffs. We could win. We could dominate you guys. But then you look at the playoff track record and you see, that might not be the case. And at the end of the day, I think both fan bases just really want to prove that they are the best team and not meeting in the playoffs definitely doesn't help the situation. Um, cause, cause, cause yeah, I know all of the FCS, you know, we want to, the playoffs in the FCS are to really show who is the best team in the FCS. It's not, you know, bowl games where, it's, it's a little bit of a popularity contest. You take the best 24 teams, you duke it out for a whole month, you figure out who the best of the best is. And at the end of the day, the best HBCUs just don't participate. And it's it's a bummer. But I understand why they do it. It's worth way more money. It's way more exposure. Um, but but I'll, I'll be the first I admit, it is kind of a bummer because I would have loved to play you know, an undefeated NCA and T in 2006 or, you know, 2017 or something like that. I think that would have been awesome. But as long as there was a celebration bowl, 
we're going to keep having these arguments, you know, on the art page. Um, but people just need to learn to respect the HBCU Bowl and appreciate two different football championship games going on. Yeah, absolutely. You you can show the level of respect for what they are participating in and how much I would argue more beneficial it is for the program exposure. It's way money, more beneficial. Everything. Oh, way more. You can argue the trophy at the end of the FCS national championship, but I'm pretty sure there's a trophy at the end of the celebration bowl. Um, on the flip coin, am I convinced that a team consistently from the HBCUs in terms of strength of schedule and resume is going to push through a 2014 playoff? No, I'm not. Will they have teams like similar to Jacksonville state in the Ohio Valley that can make a big run in 2015 or something of that nature. I would love to see it, but I'm just not out there. Once again, they're outside of the big three. So we have to view them in the same level of the playoff field, but it doesn't matter as much because they're doing the celebration bowl, which is way more beneficial and is awesome to watch. And Oh my gosh, the geez, the fans, the, the pregame and the actual environment, the bands, I, that's top notch stuff right there. So Lawrence, what do you think about this matter and, and fixing a disconnect between these uh, conferences, programs, and things like that? Well, you see, there's a very distinct problem in people's perception of the strength of the two HBCU conferences. It, I've seen people literally say that the SWAC and the MEAC aren't even worthy of being like D2 conferences. And I just want to ask, take the Southland or the Ohio Valley, for example. If Sam Houston or Jacksonville State never got to go to the playoffs because they win their conference and go play each other in a bowl game, what would our perception of the rest of the Southland or the rest of the Ohio Valley be? Mm. You know, those teams would, you know, the, the second or third place team, whoever makes it from those two conferences since they're usually one or two bid leagues. If you take the top teams out of those, you know, you're not sending your best team to the playoffs. Of course, you're not going to get your best results possible from the playoffs. So for sure, just the fact that we don't have NCA and T in the playoffs, we don't get a good uh, perception of how strong the conference actually is because we're not seeing their best team. Can I counteract that, though? Of course. Because the Celebration Bowl, at the end of the day, is still a pretty new thing. When did it start? 2016 or 2015? And the reason why it started was because, honestly, they weren't getting the bids that, at least this is my interpretation, and maybe I'm wrong, but the reason it started was, um, for one, you know, it they could definitely sell it better. But they're also not, they weren't a multiple bid conference and not getting multiple, you know, teams into the playoffs. Um, and honestly, they just weren't performing well in the playoffs. So when you take, we're not performing well, we want to, you know, do a better job recruiting people across the nation. Um, we think we can do a better job selling the game. That's, that's why you move to the celebration bowl because that, that one bowl can do way more than all the rest of the playoffs can combine, to be honest. It is just a more marketable game. Um, but prior to 2015, we, they were sending their best teams and it still wasn't going too well so that's where i would say you know the strength of schedule for those conferences um and i'm going to be brutally honest they just haven't been up to par you can take you know even looking at the out of conference schedules when when we have 
a SWAC team, um, you, you know, on the schedule on a North Dakota State or a Big Sky that we've paid to come up there. All of us are kind of excited. We go, it's going to be an easy win. And 99 out of 100 times, it pretty much is an easy win. But I do think they are getting better. And I like NCA and T, I think could have made some some decent little runs in the playoffs the last couple of years. And it would have been fun to see because I think they are a solid team that, look, they beat Jacksonville State. They should at least be getting the same type of respect as Jacksonville State does. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're, you're just a little off, but close there, Kyler. Uh, Celebration Bowl started in 2015. Um, NCA and T has won three of the last four. They've been the big ones. Uh, the payout is actually one million dollars per conference, so that's it's great. That's tough to beat. Um, fun fact: I didn't know uh, it used to be the Heritage Bowl and the Pelican Bowl, which were the two previous bowl games between the Miac and Swack. So it's awesome. I love how many fans we have on our page right now that are um, big HBCU fans. They're getting the exposure out there. They're teaching us in other parts of the country more about the legacy, the history, and the current talent that's available. So. Um, while there's a little disconnect in terms of competition, I think there's always that in sports. It's just awesome to see, and we appreciate all the fans that are part of our page. So, We, we definitely recommend people to go check out some of those games, though. Um, and if you can go to one live, if you live you know, more in the south or the east coast, um, I would fully recommend it. I'm going to go to a Prairie View game because now I'm not too far away this year, and I'm pretty excited. Um, I've heard it's just an amazing turnout, and I can't wait to see it. Awesome. That's going to be great, man. We'll get a full report on the podcast when you, after you go, go to it, and we'll be able to check it out. That's great, man. All right, guys, moving on. Um, we were going to do some predictions tonight, but I think we're a little capped on time. So we're going to push that to next week, but that's okay. It's going to work really well with our top 25 segment because I, I, I want to really get enough time for this next one here. And it's called – it's famous from my most favorite Radio Now TV personality, Colin Coward. He says, where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I want to do the same thing for you two and myself, but mostly you guys. So where Lawrence Uh-oh. and Kyler were right and where Lawrence and Kyler were wrong with a little bit of Matt. Um, this is from last year's segment, Fact or Fiction. Um, that's where most of this comes from. And there's a little bit of uh, other information that I dug up from re-listening to podcasts. So. Um, starting this off with an easy one, guys. Both of you are right based off of this. Everybody believed the conspiracy that JMU and NDSU would never end up on the same side of the bracket. And both of you were right as of last season. So real quick hash that, Kyler, why you believed eventually they would end up on the same bracket. Because everybody thought because of money they wouldn't. And, of course, in 2019, they're not only on the same side. They're literally in the same corner. So, Kyler, you were right, and tell us why you believed that at the time. Um, I mean, I just had to believe it at the time because I don't think there are any conspiracy theories. I think the NCA does a good job at ranking the top eight teams, and then it's just where it falls. There, I don't, I don't think there's any type of conspiracy theory. It's you know what we're going to play a little bit of regional games because we have to, and that's that's literally about it. Well said. All right. Um, Lawrence, I'm sure a very similar answer, so we'll roll into this next one here. Um, if not James Madison in North Dakota State, who's going to be the other team that makes the championship? Um, Lawrence and Kyler both said Eastern Washington and New Hampshire. So congratulations. You were half right and you were half way, way wrong. Lawrence, uh, why were you right and why were you wrong in that instance? Um, I was 
I was wrong on New Hampshire. Um, and you know what? I stand by that preseason pick um, to this day. New Hampshire was decimated by injuries last year. Um, so we, we didn't get a good look at what they actually had to offer. Um, and then just l- lucky enough for JMU, um, we met them during the regular season right as they were getting healthy again. Um, so JMU got a good look at a healthy UNH, just the entire country didn't. So, um, And then Eastern Washington was simply the second best team in the FCS last year, bar none. Um, and I don't remember when this prediction was made. Um, Would have been the preseason after the top 25 dropped. Okay, so it was still before I went out to Cheney. Um, But yeah, especially after I took my trip to to Eastern last year um, and and saw them play in person the first time, um, you really got a good sense seeing them live that they were a force to be reckoned with. Well said. Yeah, they, Eastern... If, if not for NDSU, nobody was beating that team last year. But don't sweat it, guys. At least you weren't like this Matt Frazy guy you previously had on the podcast. He said Stanford and New Hampshire would actually be in the national championship, if not JMU and NDSU. So I don't think either of those teams made the playoffs. So I'm just, I'm just going to bow out for predictions in the future because that's just absolutely terrible. But I... I was banking off of I was banking off of quarterback play. I was banking off of quarterback play, so I feel like I was good there. You know who got injured just like New Hampshire last year? Eastern Washington. And the Ooh. Ooh, and we still made it. Depth. Depth, baby. Aaron Best in the depth. It's coming out. I love it. I love it. Coming out. All right, Kyler. Well, you're great with the depth and you've got your facts. But how come you told us here's where I was wrong? <laughs> how come you told us Weaver wouldn't be top ten or top fifteen, and most likely would fall out of the playoff picture by the end of the season? You just weren't sold on their offense. Um, where where was that prediction as Weaver pulled up pulled off another quarter's final appearance? Well, I can honestly say I was wrong about that. And what I'll still stand by my decision because they're. Their offense was just butchered, um, you know, at the end of the 2018 season. They, all of them were gone. I just didn't anticipate they were going to have the freshman of the year player on their team. Um, and, and that running back was a hell of a running back, and he definitely improved because the quarterback play was not good. I was pretty much right on that. Quarterback play was not good. But I think um, I underestimated uh, the system that Weaver runs defensively. And that's what really bailed them through games. I thought since they lost a lot of key players on defense that they would struggle. But as I can now see, that that system that the coach is running on defense is just a system, and they're going to be able to plug in and play people. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, Weber, you got some good things going there. So I, I love the little confession there, Kyler. Good stuff. Uh, Lawrence? It's- I want to come. Oh, go ahead. I want to come to Kyler's. I would like to come to Kyler's defense a little bit um, because I believe he also said – the other Utah team, Southern Utah, would also not make the playoffs. And he oh, yeah. I said they were going to be awful, and they were awful. <laughs> so for Utah, you're 50-50. He'll take it. I'm 50-50. All right, Lawrence, you're going to hate me for this one, so I'm excited about this. You told us that Virginia Military Institute, Indiana State, and Portland State 
wouldn't reach above a 500 record, any of them, after being winless in 2017. And Indiana State pulled off a above 500 record. And we just want to know how you could doubt the Sycamores so poorly of those three quality teams. Um, you know, I didn't really see any indication that it said that they would be the team that, that improved that much. Um, hell, they should have been a playoff team last year. Uh, but two out of three is not bad. <laughs> well said. Two out of three is not bad. I, I wanted to throw that in there because I just knew you'd be like, why on earth would he look that up or find that information? So, yeah, I, I don't think any of us joined you on that prediction either, but I think I tossed that one to you. So, um, Kyler, you predicted Eastern Washington as the dark horse title team last year. Now's your time. Take your moment. Uh, what factored into that decision? And they are your team. Go ahead. Um, what factored in because honestly, I thought we were snubbed from the playoffs the year before. Anyway, I thought we should have been in that New Hampshire spot and you saw what New Hampshire was able to do in the 2017 playoffs. Cause it was weak. They were what a quarterfinal team or did they even make it further for they, they lost to South yep, Dakota state. They did. Okay. Yeah. So, so they were a quarterfinal team and I think that's about where Eastern should have been in 2017 anyway. And then when you return everyone, um, all of our key playmakers were back. We didn't have new coaches. Yeah, I, I thought they would easily be a title contending team, and I was right. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, just watching that team, so, so impressive in terms of how good Eastern actually was last year. It was great. It was, it was awesome to witness them on the field, and they were a lot of fun to watch. So um, I'm going to. Also, he just really wanted it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's always the little innate bias, but you know what? It was driven with facts, so it worked out. Um, Pat myself on the back before I destroy myself here at the end. Um, I predicted that NDSU, with their average, they always played SDSU um, twice in the year. It's typically happened, playoffs, non-playoffs, and one game has been not close with NDSU winning by an average of 23.6 points. So I predicted a 36-13 win for NDSU. It was 44-21, but it was 23 points of separation. So I'm pretty proud about that one. I also predicted 38-20 for NDSU and Eastern Washington, and I got 38-24, so close on those two as well. But that's just because of NDSU and nothing else. So toss my little good job, Matt's out there. Um, Lawrence, here's a compliment to you, man. Uh, you said JMU would lose in the quarters or semis, but be the overwhelming favorite in 2019. You were one round off, but still close enough, man. Um, what was you, what was your thought process with that? Just a gut feeling, really. Um, you know, you, you don't get NDSUs super often. Um, and so to have two incredible years where we were very clearly the best or second best team in the country, um, I just didn't think that was sustainable for three years in a row. But I, I thought, the lessons learned from a down year would um, would be a, something that they could build off of for, for 2019. And, you know, at the time I fully expected Mike Houston to still be coaching uh, JMU. And he's, he's an incredible coach. So after predicting they would go through a down year last year, I 
would choose him to be the coach that would uh, rebound well. And so now I can only hope that Kurt Signetti will uh, help the team do the same. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have any trouble there. Phenomenal coach at Elon. And yeah, I I was saying last fall that I would take JMU as my title favorite for 2019. And now top 25 polls are starting to show that and people are getting that hype up. Teams like Eastern and others are going to be really good too. But if JMU figures out a few things, they're going to be real dangerous. So great to be honest and unbiased. And it, it, it's probably going to pay off for you in the end. So uh, guys, that kind of wraps the where we were wrong and where we were right. The only other note I had is that Kyler was right about uh, Sam Houston not going as far as another Southland team in the playoffs. Uh, but his reasoning was because McNeese's turf that they got in their new stadium was really, really nice, and he likes it. So I don't know how those things relate, but nice job, Kyler. The turf at McNeese paid off for your prediction. So it did. Bravo. Yep. That's the only reason why Sam Houston did not make the playoffs. I'm sticking by it. <laughs> hey, you, you can say facts for that till the end of time because it worked out. So, Hey, Matthew Frazee, before we leave, yeah. we have one more section of where Matthew Frazee was wrong again. There, there's a lot of that. A ton. There's a ton of it. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. In the podcast that never aired, <laughs> Matthew Frazee said Maine would beat up on Eastern and win convincingly. What happened there, Matt? Were you wrong? Were you right? What happened? So Matthew was wrong. And <laughs> as you guys know about me, the page knows this pretty well. I base a lot of things off of historical data, trends, and what I've seen in the past to form a current opinion. I throw a little bit of common sense in there, but typically I'll let history dictate. And Maine was the seven seed who like blew teams out and were they were a heavy run team. And I just viewed them as Towson 2013. So I thought it was this moment where NDSU and Eastern was supposed to play together, just like in 2013. And then a Towson type team like Maine from the CAA comes in and knocks you guys off. It wasn't based off of common sense. It was just historical data and it did not pay off. And after watching Eastern put up a great fight against NDSU, I should have never made that prediction. So I'm sorry. Uh, if I remember correctly, I apologize. if I remember correctly, you were also just being a contrarian on that pick. Like Kyler and I both picked Eastern and you just wanted to get We were all agreeing a lot on that episode, just kind of like today. Yep. It, it was throwing it out there too much. So, um, but we got into a lot of agreements and disagreements guys down in Frisco, which brings us up into the final moments of the podcast. And I just want to get each of yours favorite kind of memory or kind of time in Frisco because all of us were down there together. Lawrence came down, even though James Madison fan, he still wanted to support FCS fans nation and be down there for the game. And Kyler drove up um, from Houston. So uh, I'll start with you, Kyler, kind of favorite memory of Frisco and all that. Definitely the favorite memory, which was, um, well, first just being there was awesome. Uh, it, it was definitely it's definitely a great experience where I'd recommend if any one of your guys' team, not you two, because you've already been there, but anyone listening, if your team makes it, ju- just you know, save up some money and go. Just go. It's it's worth the it's worth the trip. But my favorite memory is definitely waking up at like three a.m. because we all heard rumors that North Dakota State, all their fans and their twenty thousand buses and stuff that travel down. They all get to the parking lots by 4 a.m. and it's crowded and there's no more spots by 5 a.m. So we got up at 3 a.m., a whole bunch of Eastern people, and met at a Walgreens. And we were going to emerge into the tailgate lot together. Little did we know, it was wide open. There was a little bit of NDSU fans you know, down the road, but um, they, they, 
all came in about about an hour after we did where they started really filling in. Um, but at least we had our little Eastern section and it was a good time being able to, you know, drink with a whole bunch of North Dakota state fans walking down. Um, I, I, I even made green jello shots because I'm, I'm not mean. I made green jello shots to pass out to North Dakota state fans. Um, but it was all around a great experience. It was a good time. I would not have changed, uh, that weekend besides a win, um, for the world. It, it was a fun time. Awesome, man. Couldn't agree more. Lawrence, what about Cisco? So it was my third year in a row going to Frisco, and it was really nice, actually, to not have the stress of worrying about the game at all. I was going to enjoy the game um, no, no matter what the result was. Um, so really, the, the part that I enjoyed the most was getting to hang out with uh, some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, you know, I flew into to Houston and Kyler and I carpooled um, up to, to Dallas in the Frisco area, um, stayed together in the Airbnb um, with some of his buddies. Um, of course, getting to do the tailgate, um, meet everyone that from the page that stopped by. Um, going to Top Golf and watching the the Cowboys playoff game <laughs> that night after the game, and then the next day I uh, I took an Uber into to Dallas proper and hung out with Kelsey and her family. We we did some of the touristy attractions like Dealey Plaza. So it was just it was a fun weekend to to be you know our our page members might not know. The five of us admins, we talk all day long, almost every single day. Um, and so just finally getting a chance to be around, you know, in person um, for an entire weekend was just a really cool experience. Absolutely. Well said, man. Couldn't agree more. Um, me rolling into Frisco memories. Um, I'm actually going to roll it into our final segment as well. So... This is going to be new for us this year, guys. Um, if you're a podcast listener from the last two seasons, um, or if you're new to us, we're going to start doing a hot take or perspective take at the end. And it's going to rotate between us three or who, whoever really feels passionate about speaking about something. So tonight, you're going to get Matt Frazee's little hot take. I'm going to take the next few minutes and just kind of throw out my thoughts and about what I think about a certain topic. So um I'm just going to roll with it. You guys can just enjoy the, the moment here, and then we'll wrap up the podcast afterwards. So I'm talking to you tonight as a lifelong NDSU fan, and all the dreaded stories I hear, the repetitive talking, the drunken small town bar when you're sitting there or in tailgating lots about the dreaded stories of the NDSU football program. You can think about like 1984. I know we were playing Troy in the national championship game, and it came down to literally a run on the field, last second field goal loss. Um, I wasn't born then, but I hear about it all the time at a tailgate or small town bars. Uh, you can think about basically any single loss that NDSU's had against UND, whether you're at home or away. Um, but in more, in more recent times, think about the tragedy of 2010 and the Eastern Washington fumble. You literally cannot go through a historical drunk recap of NDSU without talking about that game, that moment, and the fumble of Eastern Washington. But don't worry, I'm not going to go on a rampage tonight about that. I'm actually going to talk to you about how the perspectives of that happening relates to FCS football and anybody out there as a fan. 
See, because nobody really has a mystery with NDSU since 2010. North Dakota State's pretty much been on a tear through the rest of the FCS and experienced all but one speed bump to Lawrence's Hello Duke Dogs, James Madison. Dukes. Dukes. <laughs> and despite all the success of the Bison fans have had, there's basically two narratives that you'll hear when you're sitting around talking. Is that 2010 was our year if it wasn't for that fumble that screwed us over and the revenge of Eastern Washington. It's held in very high regard of getting back at the Eagles. And I think we've had two home, or two matchups in home-and-home matchups, but we've never really had that playoff chance to get revenge on Eastern. Um, so basically the last decade I've noticed NDSU Eastern fans throwing insults back and forth on social media. They're going back and forth on our FCS page. It's constantly talking about revenge, 2010, championship, should have been us, blah, 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 blah. But you know the biggest problem with holding on to games like 2010? You just apply labels to schools, you apply labels to sports moments, and you never get to experience the truth. You never get to experience true reality, true reality off screens, and the basic truth. But don't worry, thousands of NDSU fans experienced the truth about Eastern Washington and Frisco, Texas just last season. And the results came back pretty simple, guys. They're us. See, Eastern Washington looks like a red field and a deadly football program on the television screen. But they are exactly what myself and North Dakota's North Dakotans came from. They're small town, they're community, and they care for one another. I grew up in a town of 197 people in North Dakota. And being around Eastern Washington Eagle fans gave me flashbacks of my youth. It seemed like everybody knew everyone's names. They weren't a jerk to NDSU fans. They talked a little smack, which is fine. But overall, they were just there to support the young men on the field, win or lose. Now, I have to give props to Jared and some of the people I met with the uh, Eagles that were on top of the bison, on top of the hats, and they were pooping on them. That is a solid form of trash talk, so props to you on that. But seriously, Eastern Washington fans made to realize is that they're the same thing as North Dakotans are. North Dakotans were good down-to-earth people. We care about the people around us, and we don't need the big amenities. We don't need the big, nice stuff. We just go to work, support each other, and work together. And you could see that from the Eastern Washington fans. You could tell that it wasn't some big-time FBS football team and that some kid from Kansas and New Mexico jumps on the bandwagon and buys their apparel like Oregon. Um, it was small-town USA at its finest. You were born there or you chose to be there and you took pride in it. So they always say the best people come from small-town USA and Eastern Washington's football program up in Cheney really, really proves that, guys. It's got a badass water tower, it's got a red field, and they win a crap ton of football games. So I don't want to hear about the nonstop trash talk from Eastern Washington NDSU since 2010, because all I saw was EWU fans, especially Kyler, drinking with the best of them. Basically a shot king is what Kyler became known as. Um, I watched Kyler high-five NDSU fans, enjoy himself with seas of yellow and green around him, not be all bummed out because he lost his team lose in the biggest moment. That's what small-town, good, down-to-earth people do. So my challenge to the rest of the FCS for the upcoming season is instead of making assumptions about other teams or communities or getting caught up in 2010 or some singular moment that affected your football team, go to the enemy tailgate, offer them a beer, and realize that football, outside of the game, you've got a lot more in common than you do in terms of the hatred towards one moment. So I want to give a shout out to Eastern Washington for reminding me that you don't need 30,000 people stadiums, you don't need the FBS, and you don't even need green grass. 
you just need good, small town, hardworking people to showcase big talent with big hearts. So Eastern Washington, I'll see you at the next playoff tailgate, whether it's in Cheney, Fargo, or most likely Frisco. Boom. And speaking of the future, guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, whether you're a loyal listener from the last two years or whether you're just joining us for the first time for 2019. Uh, We'll have some sporadic podcasts coming out throughout the summer, and we'll do them weekly throughout the season. Look forward to top 25 recaps. Look forward to um, everything from answering questions on the page and the posts every week that we put up to actually get the fans questions for this podcast. Uh, Make sure to join the FCS Fans Nation Facebook group. Uh, Look us up on Twitter. Look us up on Instagram, Snapchat. If you find us on one social media platform, you'll find the links to everything else. We also have a website to follow this podcast. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and um, we're looking forward to a good season. Tyler, Lawrence, any last second things? I'm golden. Golden. And Lawrence, ready for the season? Can't wait. Here we are. More than halfway done with the off season, and uh, it's going to be here before you know it. I'm I'm so excited. Awesome, guys. Well, I don't have any mascot little um, metaphors or anything like that, like I did in the beginning, but I will say it's going to be a hell of a year. Looking forward to FCS football. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. Boom.